Some people work in nine to five jobs. I am one of the lucky ones. Somehow I landed in the dream job. Welcome to Tales of a Luxury Yacht Chef. Hi, I'm Lisa Mead, and for the past 27 years, I've been working on luxury super yachts in the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, and my home turf of Australia. I've cooked for royalty, heads of state, celebrities, and all walks of life. I'm going to be talking to crew, past charter guests, and loads of people that are connected to the global yachting community. We're going to hear amazing fun stories and also lots of useful information and tips. So welcome aboard. Have you ever wondered how to successfully apply and compete on MasterChef UK. Well, today's your lucky day on this week's podcast. Join me as I chat with Lauren Loudon about MasterChef plus loads more. Hi, Lauren, welcome. Good morning, Lisa. And good evening from my end. (laughs) That's the beauty of this crazy international world we live in. What what time is it where you are right now? It's just gone 9.30 in the morning on a Monday. On a Monday, yes. We're at... 7.30 p.m. here in Queensland, Australia. I guess I should probably say, where are you actually right now as we speak? So I'm currently in Oxted in Surrey, which is where I'm based at the moment. Um, Yeah, it's where I call home. And yeah, perfect way to start the week. Excellent. And where where are you from originally? So um, I grew up in Lancashire, up north in the UK, um, a lovely little coastal town called Lytham St. Anne's. Um, yeah, I spent the first 18 years of my life there. What is that recognised for? If I was going there for a visit, what would you suggest I do? Um, it's famous for a, a very prestigious golf club. They play the British Open there. Um, if you're not into golf like myself, it's not um, that exciting. <laughs> but, um, I think about twice in my childhood they held the British Open there. So, you know, it was this huge event for the town, which otherwise in a very small town is very, very exciting. Um, but if you were to visit there, I would definitely recommend going to get some fish and chips and sitting on the little beach. Oh, that sounds so nice. Now, we did you go to school in that area? Yeah, so I went to school there, um, spent, as I said, the first 18 years of my life there. And then um, as I finished high school, I went straight to university where I went down to Oxford and studied at Oxford Brooks University down there. And what did you study? So I chose to do French and international relations. Um, I just loved languages and it just was something that I always wanted to travel. And I figured that having a second language under my belt would give me the opportunity to do so. That is such a fantastic idea. I'm, I'm so envious that you have that. I think my next question would be, you moved to France, I think it was in 2013, obviously with French under your belt. Uh, where were you based and, and what were you doing there? Yeah, so that um, I really lucked out, to be honest. I In my second year of university, I had to do a placement year and I got the absolute, well, the job itself perhaps wasn't the dream, dream job, but I landed myself in Antibes, which anybody that knows yachting will know that's kind of the... The hub. hub. So exactly. I um, was working in a car rental company, um, mainly renting cars to yachties and Uh. yacht captains, um, even some guests. So, you know, I landed myself there in my second year, absolutely fell in love with it. And after being persuaded by all my family that dropping out and living there full time wasn't a good idea, I went back to university 
completed my two years and the day I wrote my final dissertation my old boss called me from France and said that the manager was going on maternity leave in mid-July and offered me the position for a six-month contract and the timing honestly couldn't have been more perfect so I jumped at it and yeah moved to France and lived in Antibes 2013 in the summer and honestly just never looked back. You know, I think I was there in 2000. I did, I did on and off, I think I did about three or four seasons and I was, I, I spent some time in Antibes and also Nice, but, you know, mostly just being on boats, of course, and then just the odd bit of time ashore. But yeah, great. You're right. Such a great place to be, just really fun environment and all the boats just, you know, around it's it was pretty exciting so I guess my question is you're obviously in that job how did you get into yachting was it from observing you know the boats in Antibes so yeah I mean for me obviously as I said a small seaside town you don't get boats in Lytham St Anne's that's for sure so it was just so mesmerizing to me and I was when I'd lived there on my gap on my placement year Uh, a couple of years prior I'd made friends with so many yacht crew and you know I'd been lucky enough to go on tours on boats and attend dock parties and you know I kind of got all the fun of being yacht crew without actually being yacht crew (laughs) (laughs) got all the perks and then um yeah in 2013 when I was living there I actually met someone who was a captain um, and he had spent the, the summer season in the Med and was just flying off back to his winter port, which was Fort Lauderdale. Um, and that was just as my contract was coming to an end at the car rental company. So I just jumped on a plane on a whim, went to Fort Lauderdale um, just to visit him, really. And then a position came available as a stew cook on his boat that was in the yard. So I just thought, you know, I'll go do my STCW, get my visa. And there I did it. And next thing I had officially become a yachty. Tell people, for those out there that are listening, what is an STCW? So that's just the basic um, training that you need in order to work on a boat. So everybody needs that course. Um, It's a five-day course, you know, it covers your basic first aid, firefighting, your personal safety and survival techniques so that you, you know, you know how to get into a life raft and it's just all the kind of, yeah, basic skills that you need to survive at sea. Yes, it's, um, and then I think after five years you have to then do a refresher course again just to to keep yourself in the loop with that, which I actually have to do very soon, unfortunately. Yeah, and uh, I think you also require the ENG1 medical certificate, right, when you're on board the vessels anywhere in the world. Exactly, and that's um, just to make sure that you're safe at sea um, in your health. You know, you're not colourblind or too asthmatic or any of those things that could pose problems while you're out at sea. Absolutely. So what kind of boat was it that you you first did your, your first charter on? Um, So funnily enough, the boat that I first worked on um, was a boat that I ended up doing three Atlantic crossings on. But in the first first five months, I think it was, that I worked on board, it was just in the shipyard. So I didn't actually go out to sea apart from for a sea trial for a photo shoot. Um, It was quite actively for sale and it was in a yard period when I joined. Uh Uh, So I ended up 
you know, we, we were on there for five months. My um, partner was on board for, well, with the owner for five years before I met him. And yeah, after being there for five months, realizing that it was just for sale, I had just joined the industry and it wasn't giving me a true reflection of the industry. So we made the decision to actually leave that boat. So I went back, I came home back to the UK and I did a three month intensive stint in culinary school in London. And then at the end of that, we got on board a charter boat, which was um, a 58 foot leopard catamaran. I know them very well. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you, where did you go and and do your, your culinary studies? It was called the Chef Academy of London. So I spent two weeks doing knife skills and basic, you know, knowledge and training in a restaurant uh, just off Oxford Street, actually. Mm-hmm. And then three months following that in a in a lovely fine dining French restaurant in Notting Hill Gate. So I was just kind of a stage, um, an apprentice in the restaurant doing all the fun peeling of potatoes. Mm. And- Chopping vegetables, but, you know, just overseeing all the chefs at all levels and being involved in service. And, yeah, I threw myself into the deep end and really fell in love with it from there. Lauren, that's such a clever idea. I think a lot of a lot of girls and guys kind of fall into the industry and sort of learn as they go. And there's nothing wrong with that because you've got the internet these days and it's it makes things you can sort of study up online. But doing what you did is is such a smart idea because it just gives you the confidence to go ahead and, you know, create these menus, but with a, an understanding of what you're doing. I, I just think that's so smart. A good basis of what I needed to know. Um, and the rest very much was just kind of teaching myself and as I went along and trial and error and practice. And it's really just that passion that um, takes you, takes you a little bit further. Absolutely. You had a health situation that changed your diet and I guess your work journey. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so that's one of the reasons that I actually decided that we should probably leave that boat. Um, so as I joined, it was probably the the year and a half that I'd spent living in France over the years that my diet consisted of baguettes and crepes and beer and pasta. <laughs> And then moving to America, where I just indulged in pancakes for breakfast, waffles. What's what's wrong with that diet? <laughs> <laughs> well, eventually it gave me um, quite a severe gluten and dairy intolerance. Oh God! <laughs> so, yeah, I was just—I had rashes all over my arms. I could never sleep. You know, I just—I could never put my finger on what was wrong. Jeez. Uh, you know, I was just so lethargic and low energy. And, you know, when you're in a new job and a new relationship and a new, you know. New everything. Time, yeah, it was not the ideal time to be feeling that way. No. So when I when I found out what it was, I just threw myself into cooking. You know, I wasn't going to give up all these treats that I loved. I clearly have a sweet tooth. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the first thing I remember absolutely perfecting was some gluten and dairy-free banana muffins. Yum. And thinking to myself, there's so much out there that I can, you know, this was eight years ago now, and gluten and dairy-free, although they were they were known, but they weren't such a fad as it is now, and not many people knew that they had these allergies. And then to find food that was gluten-free and dairy-free or you know it was tricky wasn't it 
yeah, it was really, really difficult. So I just thought teaching myself to cook and throwing myself into it would be the best way. And then, as I said, I just absolutely fell in love with it and decided that that was what I wanted to pursue. And I, I think these days I, I would count virtually almost every charter that someone would have one of those allergies, if not a couple of people. So you're right, it's just become, you know, the normal, the new normal of, of how you cook uh, in the yeah. industry. How, how would you describe your, your cuisine? So obviously I'm more than capable of cooking kind of these, not even healthier, but alternative diets um, just because that's how I I tend to eat. But also I've travelled so much and I've been really lucky that I think it's it's just very global, very international, I'd say. I don't have a specific dish that I love to cook. I think if I had to pick a cuisine that was my favorite to cook it would be Asian kind of Thai Japanese I love making sushi um apart from the mess that you make that comes with making sushi <laughs> Lauren it's funny as you're saying this I'm hearing myself answer that question in exactly the same words that you're using and that's exactly the same way that I cook too it's it's funny yeah you you've just nailed it <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's what's the great thing about yachting, especially um, chefing on yachts, is that we are exposed to the most amazing ingredients of all the different places that we go to. And, you know, having access to the fresh markets, whether that's in Antibes, for example, or if it's in the Grenadines where you've got just the fresh fruit that's grown on the island, you know, being able to adapt and play with these ingredients, I think that really... um, expands your your cuisine your knowledge on- oh absolutely and I think too you you nailed you, you hit it on the head with you know the markets obviously um in the grenadines for example just being able to use whatever is local there and, and incorporating that into your menu is just it's fantastic not just that you can use it yourself but that you can sort of impress your guests with flavors that they may not have ever tasted before yeah I think one of my favorite things was always um cutting open a fruit that I'd picked up in a market that day or even that a, a little tender had bring brought out to the boat and guests wherever they're from in the world have never seen it before you know sometimes I've never even seen it before so it's kind of a, a trial and error together we cut yeah. open and exciting especially for the kids that are, have never some of them you know I remember one one charter we had the kids had never left the states and we had some jackfruit um and i turned it into some jackfruit tacos and they were just so mind-blown that is so cool yeah being able to show people of any age really these new ingredients and that that a fruit can actually be a vegetable and that it you know not a vegetable but used in vegetarian dishes and you know it's just such an exciting thing to be able to be a part of absolutely who who inspires you in the culinary world? Um, we, we just spoke very briefly earlier before we started recording about different yacht chefs. Yeah. And I think um, for me, I've been on social media. I've had a, a food Instagram account for quite a number of years now. And I think it's just so inspiring to see all the different yacht chefs that come up with these incredible dishes knowing that you know most of the time it's just them maybe one other sous chef or chef um you know and again the 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 space is sometimes limited on yachts and 
access to ingredients is sometimes limited. So just following everybody's journey really does inspire me and it always pushes me to step outside of my comfort zone. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And I, 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 I'm like you. I, I, well, I, I love looking at what everybody's doing and I'm not, I'm not afraid to message someone and say, how on earth did you just do whatever it was that I saw you do? What, what, what's the recipe? How'd you make that happen? And, you know, the beauty of, of, of that community is people are more than willing to share because more than likely at some point you'll be sharing something as well. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same. And, you know, I've made quite a few friends through um, the world of yacht chefs and it's so nice that we're always there to support each other. But I think um, obviously there's a lot of famous chefs that also inspire me. But I think, um, I know you touched on it in the introduction, but most most notably it's the youngsters that put themselves out there onto MasterChef that have really inspired me, especially this year. So, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll get back to that shortly. Oh, yes, we will. <laughs> you had any um, experiences on any of your charters that kind of stand out as a, like, whoa or a wow kind of moment over the years? I do, of course, um, both b- bad and good. Yeah. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of good, um, just the most incredible people that we've met you know, as I said, being able to teach people different ingredients and show people different produce is always a highlight for me. Um, but just, yeah, meeting the most fantastic people is what I've always, always loved about yachting. Um, and I remember there was one scenario. I was working on a day charter boat in the Bahamas. Um, this is one of my, I don't know if I'd say it was a bad experience, but it was just odd and I never know how to describe it, <laughs> but a, a very, very high-profile, high-end Russian oligarch's ex-wife and children were on board our boat. They did a, a charter with us down from Nassau and the Bahamas to the Exumas to visit the swimming pigs, and our set menu for the day was fresh lobster and fillet steak for lunch and it was kind of a set included lunch with your charter right you know the most fresh high-end beautiful ingredients that I prepared and it was just always we'd get there they'd sit down they'd eat and then off they'd trot and see the pigs yeah (laughs) (laughs) and I remember the stewardess had had um, gone to ask the guests if they were ready for lunch yet and the response was no 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 we don't eat. We don't eat. Just just pasta, plain pasta, no butter, no salt, nothing. Oh, God. And, you know, it was pretty choppy that day. And I remember standing down in the galley. It was below deck. And I'd been preparing this food for who knows how long the journey was. And, you know, it takes quite a lot of time to prep fresh lobster. And I just couldn't believe that people of that, caliber you know they've got all the money in the world quite literally and all they wanted was some pasta isn't it funny yeah and that I, I oh, it yeah and all that effort that you'd gone to and here were these people that just want the most basic simple thing and yeah they could have anything they wanted in the world but that's what they wanted and yeah I mean that's it's incredibly frustrating I'm sure you handled it like a pro yeah, luckily. Maybe said a few choice words behind closed doors. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure 
sure the radio was disconnected when I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you reminded me um, of a story. Well, it wasn't a, a bad situation, just a different one. So when I was, um, when I finished high school, I went on and studied Japanese as my language. Um, and I hadn't really had a chance to use it too much. Done a little bit of traveling in Japan before I got into yachting. But I, I had one, two Japanese charter guests in all the years that I've been on boats. And it was yeah. a, a Japanese businessman and American friends, but he had brought his geisha with him, which was just incredibly interesting to me because I'd been reading memoirs of a geisha and I was obsessed with Japanese culture. And he was yeah. this lady who was so incredibly smart. She had a, like a whole bunch of degrees and, you know, she could speak different languages. She'd chosen this life where I I couldn't give him anything directly. She would come into the galley and she'd do a special tea ceremony for him and rub his feet and talk to him about, you know, intellectual important things that were happening in the world. And it was just fascinating to watch this scenario. And there was a wife at home with kids and she was fully aware of the fact that this geisha was with him on the trip and that was just all above board. There was no hidden agenda anywhere. But, yeah, it was just really interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Again, as I've, I've already touched on, but it's just the people that you meet when you work in this industry, both crew members, contractors, right down to guests, you know, it's just people from every single walk of life and it's it's amazing that it kind of just ties you together. Definitely. And I always think, I think I've seen and heard it all and then something will happen and I'll go, all right, I haven't seen and heard it all yet. It's going in the yeah. book. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a friend of mine who I remember we were on charter together at the same, well, not together, but we were both in St. Bart's at the same time. And, you know, as I was touching on earlier, that chefs kind of communicate and we share recipes and, and this and that. And I was asking her about something or other. And her response to me was, what do you know about butchering a lamb? I was like, <laughs> me? she had some guests on board that um, quite literally had got hold of a whole lamb that she had to break down and butcher on a, wasn't wasn't a large yacht um, for some, I can't remember their culture and I can't remember the whole story behind it, but there was some something that she had to do. Wow. Of an entire lamb sitting on a galley that was not large. <laughs> so I have to put you in touch with her to hear the rest of that. Story. I would love that. That is incredible. And more power to her for doing it because that's crazy. Holy the cow. Most, the most irritating thing for her in the end was that it was in order to make some tiny little lamb curry that only required <laughs> a very, very small portion of this lamb. Oh. God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> when you tell stories to, to people, you know, living their lives in, in a normal environment, I guess, opposed to this, it's, it, people are consistently going, really? That you did that? You had to do that? I'm like, yep. <laughs> it's yeah, it's part of the job. Recently, also, I've been speaking with a lot of friends here because I've got, I'm land based now. Yes. And a lot of people obviously watch Below Deck and they ask me, is it really like that? But, you know, one thing that repeatedly I get asked is, why can't you just say no? And I was like, uh, oh, no, 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 you've never 
never say no to charter guests. Owners, you, they don't know the word no. Exactly. And I think going back to that, um, the story I just said about the pasta, it's exactly the same when you're plating up your starters and all of a sudden you get a radio call saying, we've just got six more guests arrived for dinner. Or, and you got to stretch that bad boy as best you can. <laughs> Absolutely. Or better yet, just serving starters. Oh, um, boss has just got in the tender. He's going out for dinner. And they will never, ever, ever become less frustrating. But it is what it is. Sometimes the crew just end up eating lobster and fillet steak for lunch. But it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, which I'm sure isn't too too hard a hardship at the end of the day. Um, I guess we're talking about, you know, kind of crazy things that go on. Have you ever had any kind of epic food fails where you're just like, how on earth do I turn this around? Absolutely. I've had plenty and I'm sure most, most yacht chefs have. All. And if they say they haven't, then they're lying. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them, honestly, have just been involved with bad sea and not securing something properly um but i think my best one was that i was plating up a main um i had some again it goes back to fillet steak seemed to love steak but uh, <laughs> i was just pulling pulling something out of the oven that was in a pyrex dish and i literally plated everything it was just the last element to go onto the plate and i put it down on the side um, on the counter and it was a particularly hot day it was again it was in the Bahamas and the air conditioning there'd been an issue with it and it, anyway it was just freezing cold in this galley and it didn't even cross my mind but I put this dish down onto the side oh, and the no. whole thing just burst it just the sound of like an explosion and there was just glass oh, everywhere. I've done exactly the same. Yep. It's, it's, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's fun. In that moment where all the crew come running because they hear something, I'm yeah. like, standing at the top of the stairs, literally about to take the plate. So I'm like, I really do not know what to do. I do not know what to do. <laughs> Oh, sometimes you just got to laugh, but it, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It really is. And yeah, then, and as you said, you know, it's one of those instances where you've got to just not, not cry, just laugh it off, take a second, take a breath and then just figure it out. Um, thank God I had a bit extra food in the fridge because back to a couple of points ago, I've learned over the years that you are always surprised and surprises are sprung up on you so always have extra and always be prepared they did have to wait a little bit longer for their lunch but they got it in the end and I, I think that that's actually a really good bit of advice for, for new chefs coming into the industry and that is like you said always have a backup always have a plan b even if you're pretty sure it's not gonna be needed just in the back of your mind have something ready to go that you can kind of throw together yeah, and I think on that note as well, it's um, another time I'd served and I'd asked about allergies and this and that beforehand and dietaries. And sometimes people just forget to tell you. But again, I was serving, I did a seven course tasting menu one New Year's Eve for 14 guests. That would have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see the fireworks in St. Bart's that year. That no. But I remember it got to about, I don't know which course it was. There was about three courses in 
and all of a sudden one of the guests is just walking towards the galley and I was like is everything okay it's like oh yeah um so and so is vegetarian I was like excuse me I've just served three courses that were not vegetarian <laughs> the plates were all empty I was like so all of a sudden now you're vegetarian oh boy because <laughs> they didn't like duck or whatever it was I can't remember oh. but you know it's Again, having those backups and just always being a little bit prepared and able to just be flexible in the moment. Yeah, you're reminding me of this wasn't an allergy, it was just a dislike, but I was plating up a meal, literally getting ready. It was the main course part of the the meal and and one of the guests, a lady, had been coming back from the bathroom and passed where all the plates were and noticed that I, I had zucchini on the plate but I didn't have broccolini now this wasn't requested or we were down island so you know broccolini is not the easiest thing to get sometimes off some of the islands anyway but I it wasn't something that was specifically requested in advance so she's looking at the zucchini and as, as I'm literally almost at the end of plating and said you know I'd like broccolini instead of that zucchini and I said oh look I'm really really sorry um, I don't have any with me right now. I just have the zucchini here, but I can certainly go to the markets in the next day or so and, and look for some or try and get it, you know, brought to us at some point. And she just looked at me and she said, I'm going to have to meditate. So she's standing there at the counter going, broccolini out, zucchini in. And she's doing this whole meditation routine. And I'm just like, okay, whatever you need to do to eat the zucchini, you go for it. <laughs> I was just like, oh, brother, this is just weird, but whatever. <laughs> As you said, nothing even surprises you anymore. <laughs> no. Now, you've obviously travelled to lots of beautiful destinations from a yacht. Are there any standout places in the Caribbean and the Med that just, you know, if you had to pick like one or two from each area, what what really sort of just stood out to you? I think, I mean, for me, I'm biased and I'll always have a soft spot for the south of France. Yes. But in the Med, or this side of the world at least, I think Greece and Croatia have to be my favourites. They're both just so raw and so beautiful and so cultural. I just, I love both of them. I couldn't pick a favourite between the two. Wow. Um, Yeah, they're two places I've... in. My travels through the Med on boats, I've yet to get to, and I'm desperate to because, like you, everyone I speak to just raves about how fantastic they are. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've most people that have worked on yachts have done the Amalfi Coast and Sardinia, Croatia, um, Corsica, sorry, and they're they're all beautiful, and I love I love the whole place, and I love Palma and Mallorca, and yeah, just think something really unique about Greece and Croatia, both in their culture, their food, their people, the islands. And it's just, yeah, two countries that I really do rave about. And then in the Caribbean, it's a tough one. Um, It's just so different to um, this, this side of the world. But I was lucky in 2020, at the beginning of the year before COVID outbreak happened, um, we had liverboard owners and we just started in St. Kitts and we did all the islands down to the Grenadines and then eventually back up to Fort Lauderdale. Wow. And it was just seeing all the the little French islands, I think, that were so untouched, you know, like Martinique and Guadeloupe 
I'd never I'd never been that far south before and it was just so beautiful to see. And did again, you get to the had... did you get to the Ile de Sens? No. That's off I believe it's off it's either off Guadeloupe or Martinique and it's a series of oh, I want to say it's six or seven islands. I might be incorrect in the amount, but it, it reminds me so much of Corsica. You know, you you've got cobbled streets, mopeds, there's no cars, you know, there's French pastries baking in the windowsills and it's just this beautiful blend of French and Caribbean together. Yeah, I think that's what I love about it. Obviously, I have a soft spot because I speak the language, but, you know, it's just, it's like the the French islands, even St. Bart's, you know, it's all just like being in France, but in a tropical environment. Perfect. Yeah, no, they're excellent choices. Certainly, uh, I I would be going to any of those places. Now, after a number of years, you you decided to leave the yachting industry. What made you decide to do that and and what are you up to now? You know, I'd always wanted a little eatery of my own, and that was even before I started cooking or before I started cooking professionally. Um, And I had an opportunity that came up in 2019 I just bought the house that I'm actually in now in Oxted in Surrey and a friend that I'd met that earlier that year he um, had messaged me about opening a cafe he'd found one that was for sale in the town and I'd we'd met on a ski trip and I'd always told him or whole group at least how much I really wanted a cafe and it was kind of a dream of mine so he found this place that was for sale and after knowing that we'd just bought a house in the area would ultimately end up being there, I decided that I'd go in with him. And, you know, I was trying to run it from afar whilst travelling all these islands in the Caribbean. There was a five-hour time difference. There was, you know, I hadn't been there for the beginning of it and it was all just, it was obviously too much, you know, on, on charter with liverboard owners, it was impossible to get a minute to myself let alone a minute to try and check in with a business that had just opened so covid happened march of last year and obviously then all the plans of the boat changed so i ended up flying back to the uk and during that time the uk was in lockdown so we ripped a fridge out of the back of the cafe which is set up at that point as more of a delicatessen like a proper Ah. deli um and we yeah started doing this refurb and then in the end I just I just realized that I was I really wanted to be there and it kind of needed me especially in the beginning because he was sort of the business mind and I was the food behind it and I didn't Mm. want to just hand the reins over to someone else to start my my cafe really um as in I didn't want to just hire a chef or give a menu to someone or give that that job to someone else when I was more than capable so in the end it was kind of COVID that pushed me to really just take that leap of faith and yeah it was wasn't an easy choice but I am really glad I did and I have never looked back you know it's funny how the universe works I feel like I'm listening to a storyline of a movie um, you know, you throw in a pandemic, you, you're in the Caribbean on this luxury yacht, then you then a pandemic happens and then you get to go and be part of this beautiful cafe in this little, is it, am I saying a village or am I wrong in saying that? Yeah. It's, Where you it's, live. It's a small town. A small town, right. Yeah. It just sounds 
really romantic and lovely. What what uh-huh. um, type of food do you serve in the cafe? So it kind of it's just breakfast and lunch, um, but it brings in my travels. So you know we've got a sandwich menu because everyone loves to just grab and go a sandwich. Yes, but there's one on there called the Amalfi. There's one on there called the Med. There's a sorry, you know I've named them after my travels. Um, for example, the Durban is a peri peri chicken baguette, which my business Ooh. partner Matt is from Durban, South Africa. So you know, kind of brings in different flavors from around the world i've got a meze platter on there as an ode to my time in greece nice um so yeah just kind of bowls and salads and sandwiches and sweet chili chicken tacos and that kind of thing and what's the cafe called it's just the deli oxted the deli oxted ah um so you're you're busy doing that so how do you go from that to entering MasterChef UK and walk us through the process? (laughs) So as most people around the world, I'd had a pretty rubbish year, Um, you know, just kind of dealing with personal things and dealing with a pandemic and a lot of change had happened. And I just thought a, a friend of mine actually sent me the application and you know, I sat there and I thought to myself, what's the worst that can happen? I've got absolutely nothing to lose. And, you know, it's time for me to start believing in myself, start doing something for me and just throw myself out there. So I filled out the applica- application form, which was about 12 pages in it. God. Asking all these different questions, obviously about my food and my food history and my journey, but kind of in-depth questions about, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to me what's my favorite childhood memory and I guess they really want to just know about you as a person before you get any further right but I just filled it all out on a whim you know I was having a pretty bad day and I thought I've got as I said nothing to lose here a couple of days later my phone rang and it was somebody from they didn't even say MasterChef the professionals because they're not allowed but it was from the tv production company wow a cooking program that I'd applied for and um, yeah they wanted to chat with me and about an hour and a half later they were like okay thank you well that's great we'll be in touch if you're going to go through to the next stage and then it was that for about three weeks I had phone calls after phone calls from different people I think there were about five phone calls from different people then there was a Zoom audition with the assistant producer in which I had to talk through a couple of dishes. So I guess it was almost as if I was cooking for them. Yeah, and you know what? I bet being a chef on a yacht helped you a bit in that way in that most guests want to know what they're eating. So that probably was in the back of your head all that time that you've spent describing dishes that you've been doing. It, that might have helped a bit. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I could just sit there and I was just sitting there speaking to them about how I'd prepare this confit duck leg that I would then pair with some pickled blackberries or whatever it was. And, Yum. you know, just sitting there watching their faces nodding along and thinking. I think at that point it was the first time I thought to myself, wow, I've actually got quite far here. There's possibly <laughs> a chance I'm going to get in. 
<laughs> Were you starting to get a little bit nervous, thinking, "Uh oh, I might be, I might be getting into this." Yeah, I remember them eventually calling me again. As I said, it was about a three-week process of quite intense conversations with various different people, and then I got a call when I was just leaving work one day. They're like, "We'd like to let you know that." We, we're offering you a place on this year's competition. And I was like, wow, this is wow. Amazing. At that point, you know, I couldn't tell anyone. I couldn't do anything about it. And then I suddenly turned around and I was like, hold on, I'm going to be on the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> what? That is, is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so describe, okay, so you, you've, you've been told you're on. So what, what happens next? What's the process before you actually get on TV? Do they give you little test runs of practicing with the camera or how does that work um so i think i found out on a thursday afternoon on the monday at five o'clock they were in the deli filming me doing like a background story they came in with their cameras by this point i'd obviously had to send everyone home i mean we we close at 4 30 anyway yeah but everybody was at home i'm standing there in my whites just like what is happening i've got the biggest <laughs> The guys were like, I'm not sure if you're going to just keep laughing and smiling all through this or what. (laughs) Yeah, just being standing there in front of these massive cameras for the first time was quite daunting. But um, it was quite good to have them in there and just speaking. There were three guys that came along and just speaking to them, realising that, you know, it's just three guys that I'm talking to. It's not the entire nation at that point. (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that kind of threw me into it a little bit eased me in let's say gently and then it was about two weeks after that and I was in the studio cooking for Greg Wallace Monica Galletti and Marcus Waring wow so (laughs) what's is it a long day and I mean walk us through the, the 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 thing that you did the first thing that you did so it was all, um, you know, really felt like I was going on this huge adventure, which I suppose I was really. But, you know, it was just as the restrictions were easing here. I got picked up in a huge Mercedes van the night before. I got dropped off at a hotel, instructed not to go downstairs, not do anything. Um, and then the next morning at 6 a.m. we met in the lobby, which was the first time I met the other three contestants. Wow. I met one of the production team who walked us to the studio and then it was you know with all the social distancing and everything you know you sit on this chair you sit here pick a pick a number um which then led us to who would do which test and who would go in first and all of those kinds of things and then yeah so we got to the studio about 7 30 a.m and I was back in a car leaving at 11 o'clock that night. Good God. <laughs> so it, it was the first thing that you did. Was that something, were you able to do, you know, I mean, here in Australia, I think they always start off with something that you that you know how to make, that you've, you're have you introducing to the to chefs. Was that something they did with you or was it something they just said, this is what you're going to make, go for it? No, so with this one, it's the opposite way around. So with the professionals, they do a skills test. So I walked in with this huge beaming smile on my face because it was the first time I'd ever seen them in my life and I was absolutely <laughs> terrified but equally excited. And um, they 
in front of me were a, an, an array of ingredients and Monica turns to me and said, this is my skills test. I'd like you to prepare this a fillet of this monkfish with a bacon and pea ragu. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh my word, okay. <laughs> They're staring at me. Then I look up and there's about 30 cameras, loads of people just wandering around the studio. <sighs> I've just got a massive stupid smile on my face because what else do you do when you're in that scenario? Oh my God. And then I looked down and thought, I've never prepared a monkfish before. And I know that this is a fish that's quite complicated. Yes. And um, yeah, if you ever get a chance to watch it, you'll see my hands just shaking. I completely messed up. It was so nerve wracking. They're trying to have a conversation with me about how I've started cooking. I'm thinking, how the heck am I going to do this? And, you know, just try and keep a level head in the moment, which I'm not quite sure that I did. (laughs) Did did they give you a recipe to follow? No, nothing at all. Just the ingredients. And I guess in this instance, they know that you're a professional chef. So they think that anything that's thrown at you, you can handle. Yeah. Oh, that's insane. I remember the intensity of the moment and thinking, I've really messed this up, but I'm just going to keep cracking on. I put a plate of food out that didn't look bad. It was edible. And although they absolutely slated me and told me, whatever they said and how disrespectful I was to such a beautiful ingredient you know all of this the one thing I could take away from it that is it didn't make it to the edit on tv but Marcus looked at me and he said um put a line under this go back into the next round and come out here and show us what kind of a chef you are he was like I can't work it out at the moment because you've just got such a big smile on your face and you look like you're here to have fun but at the end of the day Lauren this is a cooking competition so you better start taking it seriously (laughs) I mean in fairness to you (laughs) yeah I mean better that you had a smile than you were just you know freaking out in the face I would I think you know, you did the best thing in that situation. My God. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, and then I did, I went back after that. You, you have lunch, have a little break, and then you come back, and then it's a signature two dishes, so a main course and a dessert. Um, and those are just, those are dishes that are mine that I, that I chose. Ah, and what did you choose? So I picked an ode to my yachting career. And my main course was called Travelling the Med. It was a fillet of sea bass with textures of tomatoes, some mussels, mussel mousse, and then a tomato water. Ooh, yum. Reminded me absolutely of waking up early in the morning and walking through the market in Antibes in the height of summer. Oh, that sounds so good. And what was the dessert was... Um, it was called A Taste of the Caribbean. So that was um, basically a key lime cheesecake with a ginger streusel, toasted coconut, compressed mango, and then a rum syrup to finish. Oh, yes. Thank you very much. I'll have a slice of that. <laughs> <laughs> now, you can't tell me they didn't love both of those things. Um, the dessert was plated awfully. And again, Marcus's, Marcus's uh, comment was, the presentation is shocking, but it doesn't half taste good. And I was like, that's fine, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, under the under the pressure of that MasterChef kitchen is something that I would never, ever be able to actually explain. But I knew from the minute that I started cooking that day that I 
messed up and I wasn't doing myself justice. But I think <sighs> knowing that from the beginning made the whole day more of a fun experience and it didn't, I was the first to go and I wasn't, I wasn't deflated. I mean, obviously I was deflated and gutted that I'd messed up, but I didn't put out what I thought was my best food. No. That not good enough. No, I, th- I think you're a-, a legend because, I mean, most people don't even get to get on that show. They don't even get anywhere near that. Um, I've had loads of friends that have tried to get on the professional MasterChef around the world. Um, so super hats off to you for, for that. And the, the amount of, of pressure on you, oh, my God. And you're right, none of us know what that's like because it, it's just it must be insane. In, your, in the back of your head, there's a whole nation look, listening and watching you and all those cameras and the heat from the lights. Oh, oh I'm yeah. just in awe. <laughs> Thank you. Thank no, I think you. it's amazing. It took away a lot of positive from the day. And although it didn't go how I wanted, it was an experience that will definitely stay with me for a very, very long time. It should, for sure. So you've got your cafe now. Where, where do you see yourself in, say, the next five years? Um, I'd love to have an army of cafes. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah. Um, I have been back in the UK for about 18 months now and I'm quite settled um, I do miss the sun and I think that ultimately I'll probably end up looking for somewhere probably in a warmer climate, but I, I'm always going to be based around food. I just, I love what I do. Um, and I, again, I traveled, I sorry, studied French because I wanted to travel and I love that I've had so many opportunities to do so. Yes. So, you know, I'd love to open a restaurant or even if that just means doing pop-up, supper clubs in different countries or you know maybe i have a soft spot for parma as well so mm. we'll see. see definitely in the food industry and hopefully just representing females in the food industry here here to that if you could you've won the lottery you you can choose any boat on the planet any destination what type of boat would you like to be a guest on and, and where it's such a difficult question, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I have two yachts in the industry that are my favourites and they're both completely different to each other. But the first one is Venus, which is otherwise known as the I float. <laughs> it's, yes. Um, Steve Jobs' family's boat, which is just so minimalist and modern and beautiful. It is. And the other one is Athena, which is a a beautiful old sailboat. Um, I just love both of them. And I think I'd definitely in the Pacific because I've never got that far. Yes. So I'd love to be down there somewhere with all my family, all my friends. And if I could pick anybody to cook for me on board, Marcus Waring. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty impressive. Well, I'll tell you what, because you're bringing your family, I think in this instance you can have two boats, so you could probably have both. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it easy. <laughs> and, and I'm going to give him a skills test. And tell him <laughs> I think you should. <laughs> if the shoe was on the other foot, I'd like to see how they handled things. <laughs> only, only with ingredients available on the island. Exactly, exactly. Now, if people um, want to get to your cafe, do you have a website that they can check out? 
We do, yes. It's just thedeliocsted.co.uk. Um, and on there, we've just got kind of what we do. There's our menu and we sell a few um, products as well. But the best way to keep in touch is on our social media. It's the Delhi Oxted thing on Instagram. It's the underscore Delhi underscore Oxted. Um, and yeah, we just keep up to date on there with everything. Um, got a supper club coming up this week. So, you know. Oh, wow. On there. Yeah. Well, that sounds incredible. Lauren, I've been really waiting to chat to you um, a little bit obsessively because I was so keen to hear about the MasterChef experience Um, and, you know, just hearing all the things that you've done and all the places that you've been, it just, it inspires me to keep going. So I honestly, I'm, I'm, I can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your morning to, uh, to chat to us today. No, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been great to speak to you. Absolutely. Um, and guys, if you're if you're in the neighbourhood, please go check out Lauren's Cafe. And I'm definitely going to look for the YouTube video of of your MasterChef experience. Yeah, definitely do. Fantastic. Well, have a wonderful day, and I'm sure we'll uh, we'll catch up at some point somehow. Yeah, let's hope our paths cross. Yeah, in the crazy new world. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Lauren. Thank you. Before I go, if you'd like to hear more information on today's podcast or you have any questions at all for me, you can contact me at my website, lisamead.com, L-I-S-A-M-E-A-D.com. Don't forget to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even follow me at Chef Lisa Mead on Instagram. Until next time, I'm Chef Lisa Mead and you've been listening to Tales of a Luxury Yacht Chef.